section twenty six of handbook of home rule this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org handbook of home rule being articles on the irish question lessons of irish history in the eighteenth century by w e gladstone m p part two it may seem strange that the first beginnings of successful endeavor should have been made on behalf not of the common protestantism but of roman catholics but as mr lecky has shown the presbyterians had been greatly depressed and distracted while the roman catholics had now a strong position in the commerce of the country and in dublin knocked as it were at the very doors of the parliament there may also have been an apprehension of republican sentiments among the protestants of the north from which the roman catholics were known to be free not many years however passed before the softening and harmonizing effects which naturally flow from a struggle for liberty warmed the sentiment of the house in favour of the presbyterians a bill was passed by the irish parliament in seventeen seventy eight which greatly mitigated the stringency of the penal laws moreover in its preamble was recited as a ground for this legislation that for a long series of years the roman catholics had exhibited a uniform peaceable behaviour in doing and saying so much the irish parliament virtually bound itself to do more in this bill was contained a clause which repealed the sacramental test and thereby liberated the presbyterians from disqualification but the bill had to pass the ordeal of a review in england and there the clause was struck out the bill itself though mutilated was wisely passed by a majority of one hundred and twenty seven to eighty nine even in this form it excited the enthusiastic admiration of burke nor were the presbyterians forgotten in the epoch when in seventeen seventy nine to eighty england under the pressure of her growing difficulties made large commercial concessions to ireland the dublin parliament renewed the bill for the removal of the sacramental test and it was carried by the irish parliament in the very year which witnessed in london the disgraceful riots of lord george gordon and forty-eight years before the imperial parliament conceded on this side the channel any similar relief other contemporary signs bore witness to the growth of toleration for the volunteers founded in seventeen seventy eight and originally a protestant body after a time received roman catholics into their ranks these impartial proceedings are all the more honourable to irish sentiment in general because lord charlemont its champion out of doors and flood long the leader of the independent party in the parliament were neither of them prepared to surrender the system of protestant ascendancy in order to measure the space which had at this period been covered by the forward movement of liberality and patriotism it is necessary to look back to the early years of the georgian period when whiggism had acquired a decisive ascendancy and the spirits of the great deep were let loose against popery but the temper of proscription in the two countries exhibited specific differences extravagant in both it became in ireland vulgar and indecent in england it was tilburina gone mad in white satin in ireland it was tilburina's maid gone mad in white linen the lord's justices of ireland in seventeen fifteen recommended the parliament to put an end to all other distinctions in ireland but that of protestant and papist 
and the years that followed seemed to mark the lowest point of constitutional depression for the roman catholic population in particular as well as for ireland at large the commons in seventeen fifteen prayed for measures to discover any papist enlisting in the king's service in order that he might be expelled and punished with the utmost severity of the law when an oath of abjuration had been imposed which prevented nearly all priests from registering a bill was passed by the commons in seventeen nineteen for branding the letter p on the cheek of all priests who were unregistered with a red-hot iron the privy council disliked this punishment and substituted for it the loathsome measure by which safe guardians are secured for eastern harems the english government could not stomach this beastly proposal and says mr lecky unanimously restored the punishment of branding the bill was finally lost in ireland but only owing to a clause concerning leases it had gone to england winged with a prayer from the commons that it might be recommended in the most effectual manner to his majesty and by the assurance of the viceroy in reply that they might depend on his due regard to what was desired in the same year passed the act which declared the title of the british parliament to make laws for the government of ireland on the accession of george the second a considerable body of roman catholics offered an address of congratulations it was received by the lord's justices with silent contempt and no one knows whether it ever reached its destination finally the acute statecraft of primate bolter resisted habitually the creation of an irish interest and above all any capacity of the roman catholics to contribute to its formation and in the first year of george the second a clause was introduced in committee into a harmless bill for the regulation of elections which disfranchised at a single stroke all the roman catholic voters in ireland who up to that period had always enjoyed the franchise it is painful to record the fact that the remarkable progress gradually achieved was in no way due to british influence for nearly forty years from the arrival of archbishop bolter in ireland the government of ireland was in the hands of the primates the harshness of administration was gradually tempered especially in the brief viceroyalty of lord chesterfield but the british policy was steadily opposed to the enlargement of parliamentary privilege or the creation of any irish interest however narrow its basis while the political extinction of the mass of the people was complete the pecuniary wants however of the government extending beyond the hereditary revenue required a resort to the national purse the demands which were accordingly made and these alone supplied the parliament with a vantage ground and a principle of life the action of this principle brought with it civilizing and humanizing influences which had become clearly visible in the early years of george the third and which were cherished by the war of american independence as by a strong current of fresh air in a close and murky dungeon the force of principles and the significance of political achievements is to be estimated in no small degree by the slenderness of the means available to those who promote them and the progress brought about in the irish parliament is among the most remarkable on record because it was effected against the joint resistance of a hostile executive and of an intolerable constitution of the three hundred members about two-thirds were nominated by individual patrons and by close corporations what was still worse the action of the executive was increasingly directed as the pulse of the national life came to beat more vigorously to the systematic corruption of the parliament through pensions and paid offices 
in the latter part of the century more than one-third of the members of parliament were dismissible at pleasure from public emoluments if the base influence of the executive allied itself with the patriotic party everything might be hoped for we must bear in mind not only the direct influence of this expenditure on those who were in possession but the enormous power of expectancy on those who were not conversely when the government were determined to do wrong there were no means commonly available of forcing it to do right in any matter that touched either religious bigotry or selfish interest with so miserable an apparatus and in the face of the ever wakeful executive sustained by british power it is rather wonderful how much rather than how little was affected i am not aware of a single case in which a measure on behalf of freedom was proposed by british agency and rejected by the irish parliament on the other hand we have a long list of the achievements of that parliament due to a courage and perseverance which faced and overcame a persistent english opposition among other exploits it established periodical elections obtained the writ of habeas corpus carried the independence of the judges repealed the test act limited the abominable expenditure on pensions subjected the acceptance of office from the crown to the condition of re-election and achieved doubtless with the powerful aid of the volunteers freedom of trade with england and the repeal of poynings act and of the british act of seventeen nineteen all this it did without the manifestation either within the walls or among the roman catholic population of any disposition to weaken the ties which bound ireland to the empire all this it did and what had the british parliament been about during the same period with its vastly greater means both of self-defence and of action it had been building up the atrocious criminal code tampering in the case of wilkes with liberty of election and tampering with many other liberties driving too the american colonies into rebellion while as to good legislation the century is almost absolutely blank until between seventeen eighty two and seventeen ninety three we have the establishment of irish freedom the economical reform of mr burke the financial reforms of mr pitt the new libel law of mr fox and the legislative constitution of canada in which both these great statesmen concurred but we have not yet reached the climax of irish advancement when in seventeen eighty two and seventeen eighty three the legislative relations of the two countries were fundamentally rectified by the formal acknowledgment of irish nationality the beginning of a great work was accomplished but its final consummation though rendered practicable and even easy depended wholly on the continuing good intention of the british cabinet the acts of seventeen eighty two and seventeen eighty three required a supplemental arrangement to obviate those secondary difficulties in the working of the two legislatures which supplied mr pitt with his main parliamentary plea for the union what was yet more important was the completion of the scheme in ireland itself and this under three great heads one the purification of parliament by a large measure of reform two the abolition of all roman catholic disabilities three the establishment of a proper relation between the legislative and executive powers it is often urged with cynical disregard to justice and reason that with the grattan parliament we had corruption coercion discontent and finally rebellion but the political mischiefs which disfigure the brief life of the grattan parliament and the failure to obtain the two first of the three purposes i have named 
were all in the main due to the third grand flaw in the irish case after seventeen eighty two i mean the false position and usually mischievous character of the irish executive which with its army of placemen and expectants in parliament was commonly absolute master of the situation well does mr swift mcneil in his very useful work quote the words of mr fox in seventeen ninety seven the advantages which the form of a free government seemed to promise have been counteracted by the influence of the executive government and of the british cabinet there were five viceroys between seventeen eighty two and seventeen ninety then came a sixth lord westmoreland the worst of them all whose political judgment was on a par with his knowledge of the english language the great settlement of seventeen eighty two eighty three was in the main worked by men who were radically adverse to its spirit and intention but they were omnipotent in their control of the unreformed parliament of ireland more and more drenched under their unceasing and pestilent activity with fresh doses of corruption westmoreland and his myrmidons actually persuaded pitt in seventeen ninety two that irish protestantism and its parliament were unconquerably adverse to the admission of roman catholics to the franchise but when the proposal was made from the throne in seventeen ninety three notwithstanding the latent hostility of the castle the parliament passed the bill with little delay and without any serious opposition the votes against it were one and three on two divisions respectively a minority of sixty-nine supported against the government a clause for extending the measure to seats in parliament that clause lost by a majority of ninety-four might apparently have been carried but for dublin castle by an even larger majority i shall not here examine the interesting question whether the mission of lord fitzwilliam was wholly due to the action of those whig statesmen who were friendly to the war but disinclined to a junction with mr pitt except on condition of a fundamental change in the administration of ireland nor shall i dwell on his sudden swift and disastrous recall but i purpose here to invite attention to the most remarkable fact in the whole history of the irish parliament when the viceroy's doom was known when the return to the policy and party of ascendancy lay darkly lowering in the immediate future this diminutive and tainted irish parliament with a chivalry rare even in the noblest histories made what can hardly be called less than a bold attempt to arrest the policy of retrogression adopted by the government in london lord fitzwilliam was the declared friend of roman catholic emancipation which was certain to be followed by reform and he had struck a death-blow at bigotry and monopoly in the person of their heads mr beresford and mr cook the bill of emancipation was introduced on the twelfth of february with only three dissentient voices on the fourteenth when the london cabinet had declared dissent from the proceedings of their viceroy without recalling him sir l parsons at once moved an address imploring him to continue among them and only postponed it at the friendly request of mr ponsonby on the second of march when the recall was a fact the house voted that lord fitzwilliam merited the thanks of that house and the confidence of the people on the fifth the duke of leinster moved and the house of peers carried a similar resolution at this epoch i pause here there opens a new and disastrous drama of disgrace to england and misery to ireland this is the point at which we may best learn the second 
and the greatest lesson taught by the history of ireland in the eighteenth century it is this that awful as is the force of bigotry hidden under the mask of religion but fighting for plunder and for power with all the advantages of possession of prescription and of extraneous support there is a david that can kill this goliath that conquering force lies in the principle of nationality it was the growing sense of nationality that prompted the irish parliament to develop its earlier struggles for privilege on the narrow ground into a genuine contest for freedom civil and religious on a ground as broad as ireland nay as humanity at large if there be such things as contradictions in the world of politics they are to be found in nationality on the one side and bigotry of all kinds on the other but especially religious bigotry which is of all the most baneful whatever is given to the first of these two is lost to the second i speak of a reasonable and reasoning not of a blind and headstrong nationality of a nationality which has regard to circumstances and to traditions and which only requires that all relations of incorporation or of independence shall be adjusted to them according to the laws of nature's own enactment such a nationality was the growth of the last century in ireland as each irishman began to feel that he had a country to which he belonged and which belonged to him he was by a true process of nature drawn more and more into brotherhood and into the sense of brotherhood with those who shared the allegiance and the property the obligation and the heritage and this idea of country once well conceived presents itself as a very large idea and as a framework for most other ideas so as to supply the basis of a common life hence it was that on the coming of lord fitzwilliam the whole generous emotion of the country leapt up with one consent and went forth to meet him hence it was that religious bigotry was no longer an appreciable factor in the public life of ireland hence it was that on his recall and in order to induce acquiescence in his recall it became necessary to divide again the host that had welcomed him to put one part of it in array as orangemen who were to be pampered and inflamed and to quicken the self-consciousness of another and larger mass by repulsion and proscription by stripping roman catholics of arms in the face of license and of cruelty and finally by clothing the extreme of lawlessness with the forms of law within the last twelve months we have seen in the streets of belfast the painful proof that the work of beresford and of castlereagh has been found capable for the moment of revival to aggravate or sustain irish disunion religious bigotry has been again evoked in ireland if the curse be an old one there is also an old cure recorded in the grand pharmacopoeia of history and if the abstract force of policy and prudence are insufficient for the work we may yet find that the evil spirit will be effectually laid by the gentle influence of a living and working irish nationality quod foxit deus end of section twenty six end of handbook of home rule being articles on the irish question